Amen. Amen. And so, as you all know, we've been on the series, The Parable of the Sower. How many people have been thoroughly enjoying it? <laughs> Pastor Gail taught on um, the pathway where the seed fell on the pathway. And then Pastor Candace taught last week on seed that fall, falls on stony ground or rocky soil. But tonight we're going to focus on what happens when the seed falls in thorny and thistly places. And so in Matthew chapter 13, well, first, do, does the media team have everything ready? And so if we can go to the second slide. Here it shows all of the conditions. It shows the good ground, which we've tied into every part of the series. We have the pathway, the stony ground, and the thorny ground. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 8, and I need y'all to stick with me because I'm going to be moving fast tonight. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up immediately because they had no depth of soil. But after the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. But others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times as much. In 18 and 23... And it says, this is where he begins to interpret the parable for his disciples because he spoke in parables, as Pastor Candace said last week, because there were specific people that he wanted to have the understanding, but some were not ready for the understanding of the things that he was teaching. And so after he taught these things, his disciples came to him and said, you know, Master, what does this mean? And here it is in this passage where he begins to break down the message and the mystery that was concealed. He said, listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one sown with seed beside the road. The one sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one sown with seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown with seed on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times as much. And so if you go to slide three, here it is, we have a visual of all of the ways that, that Jesus described the different soil conditions and how he broke it down and how he revealed to them what it meant. And as we know, like Pastor Candace said last week, in this day and time, Jesus was good enough to bring this into a picture where everyone could understand. Even if they weren't farmers, even if they didn't make their livelihood by farming, they had an understanding of what it took to plant and to sow and to reap because this was their way of life. So he packed 
package this whole story in a way that they could understand concerning their terms and the way that they lived. And so being like Jesus, I decided to do this for you tonight, to bring it into terms that are 2022 so you could kind of understand the ground a little bit better. So if we go to slide four. Here you have the pathway soil. This is people that carry a Blackberry phone. You're behind time all together. This is where all of your text messages is falling to the side of the road and your phone calls is falling and you can't have get any of them. This is the people that carry the Blackberry. And so then if we go to slide, the next slide, number five. Here it is, anybody still carrying a flip phone? Surely. Surely, this is stony and rocky soil. You getting text messages and you not calling nobody back. You know why? You not texting nobody because you not about to sit there and do A, A, B, See, listen, my dad had a flip phone so long and people would text him and he would just pick it up and call him and say, now what you say? He wasn't texting nobody back on that thing. You're not texting a soul back on that. And so then if we go to the next slide, here it is, all of you Apple people with your thorny soil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You little apple carriers, your soil's so thorny, there's nothing fruitful coming from it. But if we want to look at the good ground, if we want to look at the good ground, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I get all my Android people up in here? We ain't never selling out. We getting all our text messages, emails, phone calls, reception, everything. It's good soil. Every seed is coming up. And so here it is. Jesus has packaged the word in a way where they can understand it. And for those that have the ear to hear and to begin to perceive, this is time for them to assess their heart, to assess the nature of their heart. And so he's done his job. The whole uh, uh, series and the whole story of the parable of the sower is talking about someone that has come and they've scattered seed everywhere on a patch and on a field. And so they've already done their job. The sower has done their job. They've got one seed to sow everywhere. But the reality is when the seed lands, it's falling on four different conditions. So maybe, just maybe, it should not necessarily be called the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soil. Because the word is the same. And the word has the power to do what it's supposed to do. A seed does what it is supposed to do. But when it lands in a place to where it's supposed to be cultivated and nurtured, almost like a mother, when we receive seed in our womb, the father has already done his job, but we've got to go a whole nine, really 10 months carrying and stewarding what is inside of us. Everything about your life changes from your diet to the activities that you do to the way that you 
sleep, even though this baby is not here, you are being trained for what you are carrying and everything that you put into your diet is reflected in the baby. Everything that you put into your system, your emotional makeup is reflected into the baby. The seed has found place, but what is cultivating it? And so here it is, he's done his job and the sower has put everything out there and is falling on the ground and the ground, whatever the condition of the ground and the soil determines what comes from it. And so here tonight in talking about the thorny and the thistly soil, verse 7, Matthew 13 and 7 says, and others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And so when we hear the word thorn, naturally we're thinking of like a rose bush and we're thinking of um, thorns that are on roses. But actually in this passage, the word thorn simply means weeds. It means a weed. It means like um, if you, I, I'll never forget, um, there was a bush by my elementary school and um, we were racing to go into the building. Someone said, you want to race? And we said, yeah. And so we took off running. And one girl tripped and fell. And when she fell, she fell inside of a thorn bush. And the way that we had to retrieve her out of that thorn bush, it was so much, and she happened to be ashy, because you know kids be ashy. So when she came out, y'all, it was just, scratch, just white scratches everywhere all over her. If you've ever felt a thorn bush, you know that it is weeds. And so here's, here's the part that is the meat of what the thorny and thistly ground does in Matthew 13 and 22. And it says, and the one sown with seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Mm. It becomes unfruitful. And so I want to start to break down the two things that Jesus described in this verse. He said the anxieties and the worries of this world, and then he said the deceitfulness of riches. And so in this particular verse, if you go to slide eight, worries, the word worries comes from the Greek word maremna, it was pronounced. And it simply means separated from the whole. Dividing a person's being into parts, it means the divided mind. Worries, the worries of this world is when we, our mind is divided. It is when the Bible talks about the double-minded man that is unable to receive from the Lord. It doesn't say that the sower is not giving you seed. It says that you're unable to receive it. Because when your mind is divided, when something is divided into parts, and when it's separated from the whole as the Bible talks, this is where the imbalance comes in. Because a whole is able to be balanced, but something about things that are torn and separated and divided, it brings such an imbalance that you're unable to receive what God is doing in your life. And so here in this particular passage, when he's beginning to talk about the worries and the divided mind that comes into place and how it fights with the word, it's the side of you that wants Jesus, but you also want something else. 
you want Jesus, but you want this person that he's clearly told you you need to stay away from. You want Jesus, but you want to get things your way and do things your way. It's when you're divided and you're not all the way over here, but you're not all the way over here either. It's not that you're all the way into the world, but you're not all the way into God either. It is a divide. It is a constant divide in your thinking. It's a constant divide in your affection. It's a constant divide in your appetite. It's where you cannot sell out wholly to one thing. And he says, and the anxiety of this world or of this age or of this time, see, he makes it very specific to what is currently going on in our day and our time. We have all been prompted and trained to believe that the opinions of others matter. You may say, I don't really care what anybody else thinks, but we live in a social media society. We are literally being trained that your like and your opinion matters the most, and we're being trained to believe that what other people thinks about us holds so much weight outside of what God thinks. And so in this day, in this time, and in this age, a lot of times the worries and the cares represent what we are currently facing. But then we get to um, the deceitfulness of riches. If you can go to slide nine. And it says deception and the delusion of wealth. This is where the thought that money and abundance and value and possessions and riches, it's the side of us that believes that if we had just a little bit more money, we'd have a little bit more peace. If we had a little bit more money, we wouldn't have any problems. And ultimately, when we sit around and we fantasize about money and fantasize about what we need, usually it's not the money itself that we want. We want the peace that we believe comes with the money. We want the power that we believe comes with the money. We want the influence that we believe comes with the money. And the reality is there's another level of delusion and deception that comes with the idea of having more money. because we say to ourselves, if I had a little bit more money, I would give a little bit more. If I had a little bit more money, I would save a little bit more. But whatever you're doing with the little bit that you have now is what you would do with the lot. It's a, it's a delusion to think that more is going to change what you are. There's a delusion that says, you know what? I know that I have only $2,020 in my savings account, and this trip is going to cost $2,000. I'm going to just go ahead on and go on. When I come back, I'm going to just save some more. Or there's a side to us that says, I would be tithing if I was making more money. But if you're not tithing off of the $20 that you currently have, you're not going to tithe off of $2,000. You're not going to tithe off of $20,000. you are not going to tithe off of $200,000. Because whatever your current condition is and whatever the state of your heart is, more money is not going to fix it. But it's a delusion and it's an idea that we have where we believe that more riches is going to bring about something different in us and we fantasize and we think about all of the things that we could do and we could give if we have more money but the reality is while you're chasing that you're avoiding what already is in Ecclesiastes 5 10 through 17 
Solomon begins to talk about the rich, and we know that Solomon had wealth. And Solomon wasn't living paycheck to paycheck. This man had some money. And I love to hear people that really have money talk about money because their conversation is different than those of us that just want money. The way that they live is different than those of us that just want money. I know millionaires, and they don't look like millionaires. They're not driving flashy cars. They're not wearing all of this stuff like the ones that I know. Don't sit around wishing for more money or talking about money. They are frugal. They're not wasteful. They have certain qualities that are responsible for not just getting the wealth that they have, but maintaining it. And here it is, Solomon, who's balling out of control. What does he say about rich people? He says the one who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor one who loves abundance with its income. This too is futility. He's saying, listen, this is stupid, it's deceitful, and it's delusional. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. He's saying more money, more problems. The more that you get, you're going to attract the people that want what you have. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look at them? Just sitting around looking at what you got. Just sitting there looking. Now, I know some of y'all saying, well, I would like to look. Solomon, just let me test it. That's a Solomon. That's your testimony. Just, Lord, give me some so I can look at it. I'll tell you how I feel about it. But the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich person does not allow him to sleep. There is a sickening evil which I have seen under the sun, wealth being hoarded by its owner to its detriment. When the wealth was lost through bad business and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. And he came naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a sickening evil. Exactly as a person is born, so will he die? What then is the advantage for him who labors for the wind? All his life, he also eats in darkness with great irritation, sickness, and anger. Listen, Solomon is breaking it down. He's saying if you want some money, and if you want to chase after wealth, and if you believe that riches is something to live by, let me tell you what really goes on. When you make that your pursuit and not the things that really matter, when you lose it all, it's why people who gain wealth and then they lose it all end up ending their life or they find no sense of consoling and still having their family because we've made a God out of things instead of the things that God has given us as a reflection of who he really is. Solomon said when you come into this world naked you're leaving naked. You can't take any of these things that you're chasing after with you. This was his testimony. This was his testimony. And so when the Bible begins to talk in verse 22 about the word being choked, that the deceitfulness of wealth, that the worries and the cares of this life choke out the word. The word choke means to crowd upon or to drown out. It means choked because it's actually joined with. When this passage talks about the seed, we have this idea that the seed is just laying there and that the thorns come and choke it out. But the Bible, even in Luke, his passage, it says they come up together. 
that they're both coming up together. And so here it is, this seed finds place and it starts growing up with the weeds, but the weeds end up choking it out. Listen, let me tell you something about being choked. If you've ever experienced being choked by eating or if you've been choked when you were a little kid playing, I had um, an experience where I was playing with my brother and he got too rough and he was choking me and he didn't know it. It is a slow death. Let me tell you something. You got time to think about everything that's going on in your mind while you're sitting there being choked. I was choking over here a couple of weeks ago because I had sat up and snuck a Jolly Rancher in my mouth while Pastor Gail was preaching, and I was choking. And listen, it was happening so slow. You got time to think, like, the, there's towels in the washing machine. Am I going to live to get home to put them in the dryer? And I can't believe I'm choking right now. And I was trying to cough, cough up the Jolly Rancher. And when it wouldn't come up, I said, I know this ain't really happening, that I'm going to go to see the Lord right here in church. Listen, it's a slow death. And so when this weed and the seed is coming up together, the Bible says that the weed chokes out the ability for the seed to live. How is that even possible? Let me tell you something about a weed. The reason that a weed can grow up so strong and so fast is because it does not have the job to produce any fruit. Its sole purpose is to grow up as a weed. So all of the sunlight and all of the water and all of the nutrients that it's taking in is focused on one thing. It is self-centered. It its only job is to put everything into itself to come up. But when you have a real seed and you have a real plant, it is distributing nutrients to the necessary places. It's making sure that it's putting it where it goes so that fruit comes up and that flowers come up it's a slow grow because it's doing the job that it's supposed to do to distribute but when you're coming up alongside a weed something self-centered and something selfish listen it's taking everything that it has to begin to put into itself just to come up for itself it lives for itself it takes for itself but when you have something that's meant to produce fruit it's doing the job necessary to put it in the places that it should go and so here it is when a plant is coming up alongside thorny and thistly ground. It is literally being choked out because the weed is taking everything and putting it into itself. And the Bible says in the interpretation that it literally crowds out the plant. It grows up so strong and so fast that it covers the plant where the plant is not getting water and the plant is not getting sunlight. It's not getting any of the things that it needs to live. And the Bible says that it becomes unfruitful. And in that verse, unfruitful means not born of faith or empowered by the Lord. So the seed that you have, the interpretation of unfruitfulness is anything that is not rooted and found in faith and is not empowered by the Spirit of God. And so how does our feel, how does our soil become this way where you have all of these different conditions? And so after farmers harvest their ground, after they go in and they get their crop and they harvest everything, there is a time where the ground sits, where it goes 
goes through the different changing of the seasons and the ground sits and, and, and when the time comes where they're getting ready to prepare the ground for the rain, this is when the farmers go out and they survey the field. This is when they find the good soil and then they find the rocky soil and then they find the pathway soil and then they begin to find the thorny ground when they come to survey the land. And the reality is when we're speaking of the thorns and the thistles in a field, the Bible, as I began to study about how the soil gets that way, I listened to a farmer talk and he began to say that the side of his field that was rocky was the side where his tiller or his machine pushed all of the elements to the side and that's how the rocks got over there. But he said the weeds and the thorns usually find its place alongside the border, right next to the rocks. And we know that Pastor Candace talked last week about disappointments and things that come up in our life and how they rise to the top of the soil. But the truth of the matter is from an irrigation standpoint. If you don't deal with the rocks, they lead to the thorns and they protect the thorns. So all of the rocks are alongside the border making it possible for thorns to live and to exist, making it very difficult for a farmer to come and kill them because he's focused on the good soil. And in focusing on the good soil, the rocks live and the rocks create a barrier away from the thorns. And so how do we fix our soil? How do we fix it? So we know on the path that Pastor Gail talked about that the fallow ground has to be broken up. And when Pastor Candace talked about the stony ground, you have to break the rocks down and integrate it into the soil so the soil becomes good. But how do you deal with thorny soil. We got to look at the origin of where it even came from to begin to understand. And so in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, and it says, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life, and both what? Thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust and you shall return. So where did thorns and thistles come from? It represents the curse that was given. It represents the fall of Adam. Up until this point, everything was given to them freely. Everything was theirs without a need or a care to have to fight for anything, to have to work for anything. Everything was freely given. That is what Eden represented. It represented direct access to God, direct access to everything that they needed for life. And here it is, when he decided that that was not enough, 
of. God said, you know what? I'm going to let you live, but you're going to experience what it means to reject everything that I've accomplished. And now you got to get it yourself, and it's going to be hard. And so here it is when you begin to talk about how you deal with thorny and thistly ground. In our mind, we'd like to see Jesus come with his nice little Jesus shears, and he's just going to come to our soil, and he's going to just clip away those thorns, and he's going to clip away those th things. Or maybe Jesus has a little Jesus shovel, and he's going to come with his little Jesus shovel, and he's going to help us. But you know what? In Hebrews 6, 7 through 8, what does it say about how to deal with thorny soil. And it says, for the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls onto it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. If you're asking me, how do you deal with ground that is full of thorns and thistles, let me tell you something and go to slide 11. It must be burned. It has to be killed with fire. There is no other way to deal with a thorn or a thistle other than fire. Fire is the way. Listen, I don't know about you, but if you go to Walmart and if you go into the section where they have grass and they have all of that stuff, you'll never see anything called weed converter. You'll never find anything that says weed become a flower. The only thing that they sell is weed killer. There is no way to convert a weed. You can't play with the weed. I know you want Jesus and her. I know you want Jesus and him. I know you want Jesus and this. I know you want Jesus and that. But you can't play with the weed. Because when you play with the weed, it comes up and it chokes out everything that is coming to your life. I know we want it all, but listen, a weed has to be burned by fire. And when the Bible begins to talk about thinking not strange as though this fiery trial that has come into your life, the trials have come to burn out the thorns. There is only one way to deal with the thorn. It's trial by fire. It's a reason that Paul says, I asked God to take away this thorn. I sought him three times. But because of the abundance of the revelation and because of everything that God was putting in his life, if you read about Paul, Paul was a disciplined man. He was all or nothing. He wasn't somebody that played with anything. And for him to say, I had one thorn left. Listen, I don't know about you, and I don't know about you, but I got about three or four of them that God got to deal with. And for Paul to say, I got one left, and I've asked you to get rid of this one, it's sticking in my what? He didn't say in my spirit. He said it's sticking in my flesh. And God told him, he said, I'm going to leave it there, because you know why you need it. You need to know that everything that I've given you has come from me. None of it comes from you. And whenever we're sitting around, and we're crying about the things that we're going through, and we're crying about the things that we've experienced and we say, God, the fire is too hot. God is saying, I'm after your thorns. I ain't trying to hurt you. I'm after your thorns. There's only one way to deal with them. I got to burn them up. I will put you in the fire, but you're going to come out as pure gold and there will be no thorns left. Yeah. 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 
And so here it is. When we talk about how our thorns and how our thistles are dealt with, and we, the temptation is, tried, is to try to fix it ourselves because we try to fix things ourselves. I'll never forget the first time that I went to therapy, and I'm getting ready to close. I went to therapy and, and I started opening the Pandora's box, talking about things that I didn't even know was a problem because a good therapist helps you to figure out that you're nuts without saying you're nuts. And so I sat down with my little put together self and we started talking and I walked back to my car and I said, God, there's so much wrong. I don't know where to start. And I was depressed for like two days because I said, this feels like too much to try to fix, because we think that we're supposed to go pull our own thorns. We think that we're supposed to go fix our own ground and, and go do it ourselves. and it can feel real weighty when you start to think I was crazy and I didn't even know I was. I needed somebody else to help me figure out that I, so how, how do I fix this? But let me tell you something. In Matthew 27 and 29, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And they read in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Listen, you ain't got to fix one thing. Because when he went to the cross, it wasn't just a ritual, and it wasn't just something that he did to just be doing it. The first Adam messed it up, but the last Adam said, let me take on the curse. I know that the ground was cursed, and I know that I told you that this was your loss because of what you did, but I remember that I'm able to fix everything. So they're going to crown me with your curse, and when I go to the cross, I'm going to fix it. You don't have to pull up your own thorns. You don't have to pull up your own thistles. Just go through the fire, because every fiery trial starts and ends with what Jesus did. It starts and ends with what he's accomplished. And when you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, you are partnering with what he's already done. And so if you're sitting saying, how do I fix my own ground? He's already fixed it. to go through the fire. You got to let them process you through every test. I know it may feel like a tearing away. I know it may feel like a blind loss. I call a blind loss something that you feel like he's taking with no replacement. It feels like an open gap and an open space. But listen, every last single fiery test that I was going through, he was dealing with my thorns because ultimately the thorns say what we're going to accomplish on our own. It's a reason that you sit and you worry because you think that it's up to you and you think that you're on your own. It's 
It's a reason you sit and you're easily deceived by riches because you think that the weight of your provision rests on you. But at the end of the day, it is a reason that we're encouraged to know how to abound in little and abound in much because at the end of the day, Jesus has accomplished it all. You aren't having to live for yourself. You aren't having to fix things for yourself and you're not having to provide for yourself. But when you reckon what he's done enough, It's the revelation of everything that Jesus has accomplished. This is how our thorns are burned. When we go through the trials and we get to the end of the trial, remember I said every trial starts and ends with Jesus. He authors and finishes our faith. And when you go through, you come out feeling just a little bit more free because the thorn has been burned away. It's never for nothing. It's never for nothing.